Welcome to Data in the Wild. Discover data model tips and tricks used by our fab indie hacker dames with Queen Ray. I'm your co-host, Captain Ulovea, and this podcast is brought to you by Seda, the serverless data platform for modern web apps. And today's guest is the great and powerful Pierre DeWool, founder of Scraping Bee. Welcome to the show, Pierre. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. We are super excited to be learning uh, from your journey. So, you know, other people listening don't, or to the listener doesn't have to do the same mistakes, or maybe can just learn from what you've done right. Um, but before we get in, could you just quickly tell us what problem Scraping Bee solves? Scraping the quickly, it's a web scraping API. So you send us a URL, we give you the HTML, no matter what, at least we try. So we solve two big problems, which is proxy management. You know, if you're about to do web scraping, you will get blocked because too many requests will come from your own IP address. So you will need to buy some proxies and it's very hard do it at scale because there's so many providers, so many different quality. So we do this. We also know the Chrome headless management. So let's say you want to scrape a single page application, for example. If you do it on your side, you'll only get maybe some simple HTML and lots of JavaScript that will never get executed. So going through Scraping B, we will run your request on a real Chrome brother so the whole html is correctly loaded and then we'll send you back the result yeah i've tested that for i was trying to scrape the um crowdcast website and that is a single page application and then i had to wait for some elements to render before i wanted to get kind of the rest of the um the rest of the information exactly exactly for for this use case use case scraping me works very well Absolutely. Before we get into your experience with data modeling for scraping me, could you quickly run through your tech stack? Yeah, sure. So our tech stack is very classic. So we run on Python, uh, our web app. So what we call our web app is like the, the dashboards, the subscription management. Like when you log in, it's all Flask, the web framework, Python web framework. For the web scraping part, so we have many different layers. We have some part running on Puppeteer, which is the tool that allows you to, it's an API to control Chrome, basically. So we can say on a script, okay, open that page, click on that document, use that proxy, all and all and all. So we use Puppeteer. Uh, we also use Docker, uh, where we manage all our Chrome instances. So. Chrome instances managed in Docker and controlled through Puppeteer. Uh, as a database, we use Redis, Redis for the cache for everything cache related, for example. So in our case, everything related to your usage metrics, you know, since you can have quite a big throughput using Scraping B, we cache all your data usage on Redis and from time to time, save it to Postgre. Uh, so Postgre, Redis, Python, Puppeteer, AWS Lambda, Docker, and some bare metal server here and there. So it's definitely not in the right order, but this is our tech stack. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that was great. That was a great run through. Um, so since this is our, you know, data model focus on this show, what data model has changed the least for you since you launched Scraping B? I'd say the one that changed the least was a user model because we're a SaaS and user for us is quite simple. It's an email address, password, some hash password, of course, some uh, address field, ID, whatever, very boring, very classical. So yeah, those are the ones that change the list, yeah. Yeah, have you had anyone that's changed a lot? I think there's two things we had to update quite a bit. The first one was a subscription model. So we're a SaaS, so every user has a subscription linked to a plan, you know? And at first, because we wanted to go live very quickly, we didn't put a lot of care in this. So basically everything was on the user table, you know, like the plan, the subscription and all, and it was a mess. So one thing we couldn't do, for example, was to say, okay, let's change the number of credit of this plan for all users. What should have been a very simple uh, update on the plan table was a very complicated Postgres query on the user table. So we did two or three versions where we cleanly split user subscription plan, allowing you lots of flexibility. For example, it allows us to very easily create custom plan, you know, for some user. So some user will want, okay, I want lots of credit, but not that many concurrency and this feature, but not this one, you know, and we can do this for customer ready to pay the price. Thanks to this data model, we try to, to spend a lot of time on, and we've also spent a lot of time on the analytics data model. So while some people would use things like clickouts, you know, or a time series based uh, database, we've made the choice to do everything is Postgres um, for, you know, simplicity, but we've had to, to create some table structure efficient, both in insertion and uh, querying, because we do have, you don't know, millions of rows per, per hour. So that's a data model data performance issue we've had to, to spend a bit time on. <laughs> so so going back to the subscription and, and plan thing, what is the, the, the difference between a subscription and a plan? So a plan would be, I don't know, if you go to you know, whatever SaaS, you will have like OB plan, free plan, pro plan, you know, so it's like uh, $0, $49, $100. A subscription would be something that links you and the plan, and you can add some data to the subscription, such as, okay, what is a renewal date? Uh, is it a monthly subscription or an annual subscription? Uh, do you want me to cancel after a few days? Do you want me to auto-renew it if you run out of credit? Um, and so those are things that need to be very split because, for example, if you do some prices, pricing update, which you will do a lot if you create a SaaS. You want to be able to say, okay, people who subscribe to this plan can keep the subscription and creating a new plan. So the old plan will be unbuyable for new customer, but old customer having this subscription to this plan will keep it as is. 
But now let's replace this plan by a new one. So very simply, let's say you have a pricing page. You know, you will list all your plan, you know, but you can have a flag, let's call it, you know, buyable. And so the plan you want to remove from your product, you can set buyable to false and no one will be able to buy them when you go on the pricing page. And it allows you to let all users still have their subscription link to this one. And you said like, if you're making a SaaS, you, you do want to be able to experiment with pricing and plans. Yeah. And it's hell to migrate because you, no, really, you, you need to, to deal with some Stripe ID, invoice ID, subscription ID, plan ID. Uh, you will have user telling you, okay, I want to get back on my invoice and all I want to switch from this plan to this one. With, it's basically edge cases everywhere. So yeah, try to have a rock model, a rock solid data model. And if I had to do it all over again today, I definitely, spend more time on it, like maybe read full tutorial tutorial or full documentation about this. So if you, if you could time travel back in, in time, what would you undo about this, um, part of the, or this data model, what part would you undo? Yeah. So today we finally managed to clean everything, but what I would do would be to add an in invoice model, you know, to, to manage invoice on our end which is something I added last week and uh, which is, yeah, very important. Like, you know, when someone like sign in to your product, you want to be able to say, okay, this person has 12 unpaid invoices. So maybe we should do something about it, you know? And uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe they should be cut off. <laughs> yeah, maybe, no, no, just an ID. So, yeah. So what time would you travel back to then to undo that? Four years ago, because Scraping B was our second SaaS. So we built a first SaaS, which failed. We reused the SaaS code base to build the second one. So we scrapped all the feature code, but reused the whole subscription manage management code. And yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, redo that too, if I had the opportunity. But in Insight, it's always easy to say so, but at that time, we had 600 euros left on the bank account. So on the company bank account. So yeah, clean data model was definitely not our priority. But you said something interesting about you would have maybe looked at a proper tutorial or documentation. Is yeah. that what you, yeah. Do you know of any, like, do you know of any good ones? So no, because, and that's my mistake. I haven't read one, but. We use Chargebee, which is a subscription subscription management platform. So basically you have Stripe who manage the payment and Chargebee manage all the subscription, invoice, refund and all. Lots of Chargebee features are no part of Stripe, but uh, yeah, we haven't had the courage to migrate. And um, they have a very great documentation. So I probably, you know, would look you know, when you're in a hurry, sometimes you go straight to the documentation or API specification. Maybe this time is a good time to read this whole getting started 10 pages. Yeah, the guide. Yeah, the guide. You know, the 10 pages guide you never want to read. Well, maybe for this one time, you should do. You should read it. 
I think that's a cool insight because every SaaS and almost every product getting paid should have like almost identical data model. And it's been done so many times before. And I think everyone I've ever talked to have had the same pain points where it's like, we, you know, we want to change plans. And that's one of the things that you maybe don't know when you get started because you said, oh, we also offer custom plans. I don't think people, when they create a SaaS, they think, oh, I will only have the plans that I offer. Um, but then you get maybe enterprise customers and they want something specific and you want to make a plan for them. So just to like look at the scale of that, how many plans do you have now after, is it four years uh, you've been live? Like how many plans do you think you have? So we are four plans you can buy today. But like in total. But we have 40 plans in the whole table. And how many of those are custom? Yeah, custom. And we used to create custom plan for, you know, $10 customer who didn't have a lot of money. We don't do that anymore. But we, yeah, we used to, to create a lot of custom things. And this just stays in the database, you know, as a proof of your past mistakes. <laughs> All your past experimentation, you know, that's probably what helped you get to <laughs> yeah. get to the plans you have today without all of those 36 plans that are now non-viable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's cool because, you know, it's like your first comic message, you know, the name of those plans keeps getting more and more ridiculous. It's like hobby, old, V2, old, real, old trash. <laughs> uh, new enterprise, new big one, uh, business plus plus. And then you have to, to be careful so that this uh, technical name don't appear on the invoice of your customer because then, yeah, it, it doesn't look very serious. You get a PDF invoice of OBL, you shouldn't have done that, done that, you know. That's some good insights right there. Um, but but so would you say that your tip or that you would tip and as somebody who's starting their SaaS today is to read the documentation of the subscription thing? Was that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I could have just said that. But uh, yeah, basically that's what I say. And maybe you know Stripe, for example, you can try to have a data model on your end that match the Stripe's one as closely as possible, then it will make everything easier. So it's quite easy to, to reverse engineer the, the Stripe's data model because it's all no subscription as an ID, as user ID, um, invoice as subscription ID, you know, and also if your data model should match something, it should be your PSP or subscription management software data model instead of like making your own. Yeah, exactly. Instead of making your own. And I see in some forums that people are like, oh, the, the Stripe one is so complex. Like, what do we need all of this? We're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna do this or do X. And, you know, you don't always have time to jump in, but you, I, I wanna jump in and be like, there's a reason. <laughs> They've done this quite a lot. There is a reason to the madness. You have to wonder like, will my product pricing change a lot? And will my product feature for some user change a lot? So maybe if you're selling an ebook, you don't have to have a particular, I don't think you'll have any data model at all, but for the sake of the example, 
if you're selling just a PDF, yeah, so the feature will probably always be the same for everyone. And if you want to update the price, it's probably going to be very easy. So maybe in this case, you won't have to, but if you're selling a SaaS with subscription, yeah, definitely. Lots of edge cases, lots of different offering. There's, I don't think simple SaaS subscription exists. That is our quote of the day. There is no simple SaaS <laughs> subscription model. Was that, was that the, I'll go back and listen to exactly what you said. Um, but I want to go back to, you were talking about analytics and you worked a lot on the analytics model. Like who uses the analytics? Is that for the user? Is that for you internally? So we have a small part shown to the user. So basically whatever happened in the last 30 days, but because our table are so slow, we have to trim some requests. And so basically the full table are only available for, for admin purpose. So as a user, you might not see everything you did using Scraping B, but on our side, we can see everything you scraped down to the domain name granularity. So not the URL granularity uh, and done by the day granularity. So we have, yeah, two years of history. I would have loved to have more. And this is why with Etienne, we're currently trying to see if we can migrate to, to something more appropriate for time series database, to have something done to the hour or a minute. Yeah, because so what you're, you're logging every request that I would make to Scraping B and all the information that comes with that. Do you also store the result that you send me back or just the request? No. So we use Datadog, you know, to monitor all the logs. But on Datadog, we store everything except the results, the body of the result. Uh, but we have only 15 days history. Mm. On our side, on our Postgres table, we store basically domain name, status code, uh, credit cost, and of course, username, well, user for, yeah, forever and ever. So it's like we have two things, one short-term, very exhaustive database, Datadog, and one long-term, but less exhaustive. And the end game would be to have everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but the limitations, I guess, is because Postgres is really uh, good for uh, relational models, but not so good for kind of searching and aggregating, right? So, well, it's good done up to a certain point, you know, and if you need time series, I mean, I know some PostgreSQL purists are like, no, you can do everything with Postgres. You just don't know how to use it. It's incredibly powerful. You don't need it right now, which I can understand because I've seen some Postgres data table database scale to 100 millions of logs, uh, but we don't know how to do it. And so we'd rather use some, you know, some other tool uh, uh, made for that purpose. Yeah, cool. And I guess that's where the SATA plug, plug comes in because with SATA, you get the Postgres database but then you also get the kind of elastic search version of your Postgres database so that you can do aggregation and summarizations and all of those, but not on the, the Postgres database, but on the, the kind of engine. Um, yeah, don't correct me if it might not have that. 
100% correct terminology there, but uh, for, and that's like what makes it fun for me because I do not have that expertise into, you know, Postgres and how you create a perfectly searchable database. Um, me neither, me neither. To, to be honest, I, I learned everything on the fly, you know, and since Progress, Postgres is one of the most well-known database, there is lots of resources. It's also yeah. very old, so it's very, very stable. But um, yeah, definitely an interesting topic. So do you have a tall tale for us? About data in the wild. A tall tale. Ah, yeah. Uh, I remember at my last job, we used to have, you know, simple stuff, very big table with one ID uh, column. So the ID was an int. So, you know, you have to... to to type the column and the int string, whatever. So int, so I think it's a 64 byte um, integer and it can goes up to 2 billion, 500 million, which was supposed to be enough because the company had, I don't know, 200 million, you know? But then one developers had an issue where he had conflicting uh, index. You know, uh, conflicting um, ID, unique ID. So in Postgres, you can say, okay, this ID will be a sequence of integer, but it mess something up, and then two tables use the same sequence, and then Postgres says, oh no, you're trying to create two things with the same ID. It was like, okay, let's bump the ID count of one billion. I'll be, you know, uh, I'll be less annoyed. No, it, it will fix everything. So he bumped the index count of 1 billion, but then the integer was too big for integer, you know? So what happened is like it rolled back and uh, yeah, it was a mess. The whole production database was blocked for six hours because we had to understand why we no longer have free int to use as a unique ID and everyone has to migrate during the night. Uh, integer table to begins. So yeah, conclusion, use begins, no matter what, use begins. So yeah. begins, what is that then? So begins is like integer, but way bigger. So in <laughs> integer is- It's begins. Yeah, it's begins. Like you see an int, it's a begins. Okay. So instead of being able to go up to 2 billion, 500 million, I think you can go up to 100 trillion, whatever. So hmm. no limit at all. That is kind of similar to Monica's tip. Don't use a, a string, use an array of strings when you start out. It's very little downside and very much upside. And it's the same thing yeah. with int and big int. There's like no downside in using big int and you're going to need it at some point. Exactly. Especially if someone tried to manually mess up the, the sequence. Of the ID. Oh, I have a tall tale now. Can I tell a tall tale, Ola? Oh man, yes, yeah. Yeah. So this is this is not anything I was a part of, but this was in the news in Norway um, because they were storing the uh, year that people were born with just two digits for the enrollment of uh, when you are enrolled in school. So when you turn six, the parents get a letter that you are now enrolled in school and you have to like say yes or or let them know that you're going to go to another school and this 106 year old got enrolled in her local school 
<laughs> and it's like, what did they save by not saving four numbers instead of two numbers? Like very little. Um, but their, I guess their um, assumption was that people don't live that long. And it doesn't happen. I mean, it's an edge case, so it's fine. But <laughs> but it was a great news story. This like 106 year old with her letter of school enrollment. Yeah, maybe at 160, this person will get twice her retirement, you know. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome. She deserves it if she lives <laughs> to 160. You need to yeah. get your double of your of your <laughs> retirement. That would be great. I have some friends working on that kind of pension um yeah pension systems here in in norway and and we keep joking at parties like could you just not make it like a, a tiny back door where like all of your friends get a little bit higher yeah <laughs> but they're like no we can't do that i'm like really though <laughs> just a little bit yeah are you sure yeah small one so where can folks find out more about you and scraping bee uh so scraping bee which should tell you everything there is to know about the product. And for me, I'm quite active on Twitter at Pierre Deville. And uh, yeah, I try to share daily as a bootstrapper life journey. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing your uh, data model stories with us today. Uh, the listener can check out the podcast description for the links. And I especially enjoyed our conversations around pricing and how you'll most definitely be experimenting with pricing when you're creating a SaaS. So make sure that you have a data model to support that. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And to you listeners, welcome back next week to Data in the Wild, where we discover data model tips and tricks used by our fab indie hacker devs. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.